Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And this is the gospel of the Lord. I'll start with a little story. Little Barbara had two older sisters, Martha and Mary. And after Mass, Barbara started crying in the car. Her mother asked why she was crying. Little Barbara said, because the priest, the, because the priest preached an entire homily about Martha and Mary and didn't mention me at all. So Martha and Mary, we're all a little bit Martha sometimes. We're all a little bit Mary. This is about all of us, just like that song. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll sometimes. So today's readings, as I mentioned, speak to us about giving prayer and contemplation its rightful place in our lives, in our hearts. When Jesus gets after Martha, he's not scolding her for her service and for her hospitality but it's for the way she's doing it. She's agitated and distracted. And through Martha and Mary, we see the difference between distracted action and focused contemplation. And so what is distracted action? There's a Beatles song, actually by John Lennon, which says, or which describes what distracted action means when, he, when it says, Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. Distracted action. And we're, when we're distracted, our focus is being pulled away from something else. And this sort of distraction is the sort that Jesus is reprimanding Martha for. It's like when we're at the dinner table with other people and our noses are buried in our devices. We fail to be present to the people around us. Martha is not only distracted, but she's also anxious. And the other place where Jesus uses this word, anxious, is in Luke 12, 22, when he says to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you shall put on. 
He's saying, don't be anxious and don't be of an anxious mind, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. Mary, instead, has her eyes totally on Jesus. This tells us that activity and service, taking care of daily and earthly duties, can easily pull us away from God. It can easily become an excuse for not engaging in contemplation. And all of us have many activities to perform each day. Maybe you're a parent and have lots of kids. You have maybe young little children or older children. Maybe you have teenagers, whatever it might be. Many people will say, well, I'd love to pray, but I just don't have the time, or I'm too busy, or when I pray, all I think about is everything I have to do. All I can think about is the bills I have to pay, or what I have to do at work, or what's going on at the office, or what's going on at school, or what's going on in my child's life. In other words, the legitimate concerns of earthly things become a distraction away from prayer, from contemplation. And the first reading shows us how activity and contemplation go harmoniously together. Abraham shows what is meant by selfless action. Without even knowing who his visitors are, he lays out a feast for them and waits on them. He does what Martha does, but without any distraction, without any anxiety or animosity, bitterness or resentment. He sees his action as a reward unto itself. Abraham waits on his visitors, attentive to their every word, much like Mary does with Jesus. Abraham is content, like Mary, simply to be in the present moment. So he doesn't let his actions come in the way of his attention to his visitors like Martha does. So Abraham, like Mary, is given the better part, that is, new life, or rather the gift of life in the form of Isaac, his son to be born. Nowadays, this word contemplation seems like such an alien word, but it shouldn't be. There's a, there's a wonderful book uh, by Joseph Pieper entitled Happiness and Contemplation, and I highly recommend this book. It's only 137 pages. And Pieper's main point is that the highest human happiness is really to be found in contemplation. Pieper says contemplation is an activity of the mind. It has no practical aim. It's intuitive, not discursive. It's a kind of perception whose natural context is silent attentiveness. It's accompanied by amazement and even unease. In his own words, it is a focusing of the inner gaze, undistracted by anything from the outside, but troubled from within by the challenge to achieve a profounder peace. 
In his book, he mentions how some would disagree that happiness is to be found in contemplation. The objectors say it's an escape from reality, especially the reality of suffering. But it's in this context that I bring up the second reading. St. Paul says in the second reading through the Colossians, in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction, Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. The blood of the cross has the power to reconcile the whole cosmos to God. And so we can ask, how can Paul then turn around and say that anything is lacking in the cross? The answer is the difference between the objective reality of the cross and our own subjective participation in the cross. So on the one hand, speaking objectively, there is nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ on the cross. He's fully God, fully human. And it's through the blood of his cross that all things are reconciled to God. So there's nothing objectively lacking. But Paul's not talking about the cross objectively. He's talking about his own personal, subjective participation in the sufferings that Christ endured on the cross. And in that sense, there is one thing lacking in the cross, namely, my participation in the cross, my doing what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's what Paul is talking about. So how does this relate to happiness and contemplation? Pieper discusses this in the last chapter of his book. He says that the imperfect contemplation of this earth is a foretaste of eternal beatitude. And it would be crude, a crude misunderstanding to consider the contemplative life as sheer pleasure. The happiness of contemplation is not a comfortable happiness. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila, a great mystic and saint, said that it takes more courage to lead a life of contemplation than to elect martyrdom. And she references the dark night, the dark nights that we go through. Time and again, she mentions them in her spiritual doctrines of the contemplative life, which is, which is an inescapable phase of the, of the contemplative life. So contemplation does, doesn't ignore the historical Gethsemane. It doesn't ignore the mystery of evil and suffering, guilt and the bloody atonement. The happiness of contemplation is true happiness. It's the supreme happiness, but it's founded upon sorrow, the cross. It's a delightful fear. It's fearing with joy, the last judgment. Earthly contemplation is imperfect contemplation, and it's what urges St. Paul to say, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. St. Anthony of Padua, pray for us.